Welcome to a new storytelling program produced in collaboration with the Sika Tribe of Alaska, Art Change, and KCAW. Chuck Miller will host our grandparents' teachings. This storytelling program will help keep Clinkett stories alive through community education. Join us the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. as we celebrate the rich cultural heritage of this land. Welcome, everyone. This month, we'll be celebrating the month of Chat Disi in our Tlingit language that translates as the Salmon Month. And subsistence for salmon is very important, not only amongst our Tlingit people, but amongst everyone that lives in this community. But according to our Tlingit people, we needed salmon to survive. It's very important to harvest all the salmon we could to put it up for the winter. Otherwise, you would not survive. So this month, we'll be focusing a lot about celebration of salmon in our episodes. You'll hear songs about salmon and stories and some other literature that you'll be hearing throughout this episode. We hope that you enjoy it. Gunnachish. This is another one of our Yech Tlagu, our raven origin stories. Uh, they do not have ownership. Uh, amongst any of our clans. They were told to all clans. And this story itself was told by the late Billy Wilson Sr. of Huna, Alaska. This is called How the Fish Came Into the Sea. These are his words. After Raven bring daylight to all the people, he keep walking north, looking around. He keep going up, up north. And he sees something big, Big, just like a scow, way out on the sea, like a floating box. And he asked, What is out there? That's a tank. All different kinds of fish in there. They try to keep them in there so there's no fish going around this ocean. Well, he's thinking about it, how he's going to get it. Raven send that black and white bird with long tail, the magpie, to go up and cut a cane for him, and he fix it like an octopus finger. He carve it like two tentacles of the octopus. He's gonna try to drag in that big scow with it. No matter how far off a thing is, that octopus finger cane will always reach it. 
In the evening, Raven got all the peoples together, and they beat drums. He hold the cane in his hands and move it around, going up, going down, going around, testing it. All right. That man said he's satisfied with it. Then he get all the peoples down on the beach, and they begin to sing songs, and he start to hook it. He tried to pull that thing ashore, and he tried again. Ooh, 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 saying to the people, Sing stronger all the time. And he tried again. And he began to draw it into shore little by little. Finally, he pulled it onto the beach, and he jumped inside. And he began to open each door. He opened the doors for smelts, and the smelts come out of that tank. After that, herring and hooligan, and out of the other sides, king salmon first, and humpies, and coho, and later on, the one they call the fall fish, dog salmon, and last ones that come out that stop, the halibut and flounders and cod, and cohos are the last ones, and he pushed them out. See, just the way he opened the doors is just the way they come out every year. No mistake on it. And Raven, he is satisfied. He released all that fish to go around this world. Yea, That is the end of our story. Gunalchish. Thank you. We have uh, two very special songs that will be on this month's episode. The recordings come from a very old reel-to-reel recording that was done in the early 1940s, approximately 1943, at the Middle Coho House, or True Kit Coho House. It was a part of the rededication of that house. Uh, it was worked on, and they redid the foundation, and the clans got together, and they, they celebrated it and dedicated it again in the early 1940s. These recordings are very old, uh, of good quality. I've selected two songs that come from that party itself. These are happy songs, or nayatki songs, which means like the love songs. The first song that you're going to hear was composed by my ancestor, Gur Ish, Harold Bailey. And the caretaker of that song now is Das Dia, Ethel Mackinnon, my mentor. He composed this song in relationship to what he was doing at the Russian Orthodox Church at the time. He was a deacon at the church. And the first verse that you'll hear him sing, he says, Just cry for your raven, children of the Tukdentan, children of the Sea Pigeon Clan. Pray to your heavenly Father for us. The second verse, he says, You will bring laughter to me, children of the Kiksadi, frog clan, because of your kindness when they are taking me up to the grave. Thank you. <laughs> Wow. Uh-huh. 
just got done listening to a Raven Koho song of the Tluknachadi, the Koho clan. We are transitioning from not only a month of July, Chat Disi, which is when the fish start to appear and begin their journey up the river, but we're also transitioning into Shanahuei Disi, which is August, the month when everyone makes things to use in the winter, which is very important. So a lot of preparation was done in the months of July and August. Gunalchish, thank you. We have a special guest with us today, and that is my great uncle Herman Davis. His Tlingit name is Ish. He is the designated clan leader of the Tluknachedi, the Raven Koho clan of Sitka. He is the child of the Brown Bear tribe, the Chukunedi, and he is the grandchild of the Kaguantan, the Wolf tribe. It's a pleasure to have him here today. I've asked him to talk a little bit about salmon because we are celebrating salmon this month and ask him a little bit about uh, how it was for him growing up here in this community of Sitka because he was born and raised here. So I'm going to ask you a few questions uncle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you please tell us about your your upbringing with uh, harvesting salmon traditionally? Oh okay Uh, uh, before we went to our camp which is Sakhini uh, I can't remember the English name for it. My dad was uh, uh, fishing, and when the season was over, the canneries were closed down. We'd come into Sitka for a few supplies and then go back out to the camp. And the first thing we started doing when we got to the camp was to clean it up real good and to uh, get everything in order for the when the salmon started, when the salmon are in the water, and uh, 
the, the men would probably do a little bit of hunting after we got through with the cleaning up so we can have meat in the in our diet. My grandfather, George Davis, owned the OK. It was a single cabin boat with a 16-horse standard stamp mill. But when he was trolling out in Sitka Sound, he somehow fell off the cabin and broke his leg. He couldn't go fishing anymore, so he handed the boat over to my dad. My dad had a small boat named the Sterling. It was a small trolling boat. So you can see that uh, both uh, both uh, men and uh, older men in our family were working for money. And uh, I think, we, I, I suspect that we used to work for, I mean, wait for low tide, minus tide, before we went uh, fishing for the uh, dog salmon, which were the first ones to come in. And, uh, oh no, it's the humpies. And that's what we used to make into a chuck, they call it chuckawash. It was seen uh, and cut in half, tail cut off, and then the meat turned inside, outside, and then cut so the meat will hang out like that, and, and then it would dry. And then there's another one that, that used to be called the tee. Oh, and man, that one was hard. Holy mackerel. You couldn't even chew it. You had to soak it for a day or two before you can cook it. And the dog salmon were the ones that we were, the women worked on. My mother, my sisters, Annie Dick, and even my grandmother Susie we used to make it, cut it into a, a newspaper style, you know, cut it into get the get get slices off the back meat, the back part of the meat, and make uh, I forgot the name of it and saying get. But they make small strips to hang up in a, in a, uh, while, while the main dry fish was hanging up on top. We used to have a platform so all the smoke would go out this way and go up. And some of it would come through the space in between the platform. It used to be hanging from rafters up on top. Uh, on top uh, yeah. And uh, I have to, you know, let it dry for, but oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting things. That's okay. We would uh, soak it in brine for about five or ten minutes. Mm. And then uh, take it up to the smokehouse to dry, for at least for one or two days. And then it cut off the slices, open up the meat and everything, make it into newspaper style, they called it, where you can fold it up and then. So the place that you grew up and harvested your salmon was called Sakini? Sakini, yeah. I believe it's called Fick Cove Fick in England, Cove, yeah. In Huna Sound. Fick Cove in Huna Sound. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, is just a few miles down from our camp was uh, Patterson Bay. And on the other side was uh, James Howard and Pete Nielsen and Ashkutling. They say they smoked fish in Ashkutling. It's still called Ashku, called Ashku Bay. I know I'm getting things all, all kind of screwed up here because I'm not going according to the way it goes, the procedures that we take due to uh, make dry fish. 
but that's the way it was made in the, and we used to dry deer meat too. We put the deer meat up and way up in the ceiling and let it dry up there. Mm-hmm. But we let it dry long enough just so we can have it for dinner. But uh, when we used to go deer hunting, almost the whole family would go, just like Joe Howard, James Howard's uh, son. Oh, by the way, James Howard moved into our camp from Mushka Bay. And uh, Joe Howard used to describe the hunting season. That uh, everybody uh, trusts your dad so much that everybody goes camping. By the time the first party gets to the top of the mountain, then the last part person goes into the woods. That's how he used to describe it. We did a lot of hunting around our camp. Seal. Put seal meat away. I know we're talking about fish, but, but I have to talk about everything. Put seal meat away. Make seal grease so that we can preserve some of our food in seal grease. When you would go to Sakini, what time of the year would you begin and what time of the year would you finish? Well, we'd go to first in September. The, the season was closed about August. The last week of August, and then we come to Sitka for our supplies, and go out, go out to Sakhani, and it would be the for almost September, and we stayed there until all the whole month of September, and part of October, so I missed almost a month and a half of school, just so we can put our food away for the winter. How long did you do this type of lifestyle? Did you do it when you were uh, from your yeah, time when, you were born? The first time I was born, yeah. Until until uh, uh, until they wouldn't allow us to go there anymore. Oh, who wouldn't the allow you? Service, forest service. Well, I guess there the ones that burned down our smokehouse. Mm-hmm. That was Sick Cove. Do you know why they did that? I don't think we had title to the land. That's why. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, that, but after they put up the marker, my my dad and my, my grandfather, Yanshuk, George Davis, they put up the marker around Sakhini, and then they put it on paper, and they gave the paper to uh, my dad, but my dad had forgotten to, to uh, how do you call it? Notarize it? Yeah. So we lost it. Oh. But we continued to go there until they told us to stop. What's one of your favorite memories of Sakini? I have a lot of them, all of them, in fact. Playing in the sand after all the work was done and playing boats, going hunting. I did a lot of hunting with my grandfather, George Davis. Hunting and that's about all. It's just Mm -hmm. all those uh, sometimes we used to go out in the nighttime and listen to the bats flying around above our smokehouse. And believe it or not, we tried to capture one with a brailler net, you know, a little, but that uh, a little starfish net, going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know they had, we didn't know they had radar, <laughs> so that's why we couldn't catch any. When you harvested the salmon. How did our family harvest it? With a beach seine? Beach seine. Okay. Yeah, you use a beach seine, yeah. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they went up in the river 
you know, the, oh, uh, uh, I forgot after, after the dog salmon, you used to wait for the cohos to come in. That was the best one right mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And the one who had parties who gave it to the important people, mm -hmm. had distributed to the four important people. And we used the beach thing again. Mm -hmm. And if, if, you'll, if you'll allow me, uh, a lady asked me one out at out at some out at Hellman's Point Road, right just before you get to the tour dock. There's a, a small cove on the bottom, and there's rock piles that go like this on the beach. Mm -hmm. I used to I told that lady, oh, the old timers used to uh, move all the rocks away so they can. So the boat rocks won't damage the bottom of their boat. Hmm. But later on, I, I I saw it on a. As a matter of fact, I saw it down there in the in that uh, building down there where uh, Ethel, I mean, where Lillian and them are working. Mm -hmm. It's to catch fish. Oh, it's a fish trap. Used to, yeah, they used to go from a rock this way, and then up, then up mm -hmm. the beach, and uh, people used to. Stomper of when the fish were in there and the tide was going out, mm. they chase them in there, yeah. Huh. But then at the same time, too, up in Hayes, I saw I don't know, maybe you might have saw saw them in, uh, up in Skagway at uh, what's the name of that little place on the other side of Skagway? Oh, Dai, yeah. There was there was one there, mm. you can just see the little stick sticking out of the mud. Huh. Because they used to, you know, make a trap style. Maybe that's where the, that's where the, uh, the white man got the idea mm -hmm. for traps, trapping mm -hmm. fish. Hmm. Yes. I didn't go down to look at it. I could just see the stick sticking out of the water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, cohos were the best ones. As a matter of fact, when you go up the river. And you know, gaff a coho. My mom, my my dad was married to a coho woman, so when we, when whenever we went, especially here in Sitka, when we went up to Nakasina, when my dad would gaff a coho, he'd bring it ashore as fast as he could, and my sisters would rush down, mm -hmm. so they can cut a little slice off the tail, and then the, the nose and the cheeks. I I ate it. Mm. It tasted pretty good. <laughs> so we used to have uh, raw fish, you might say, mm. from the river. But we used to make it into Thai uh, uh, naiety, I think oh. it is, because because of the meat changes in the mm -hmm. in the river. Mm. And uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just, I'm just uh, sad that we weren't allowed to continue doing this, and, mm. and it did interfere with my schooling. But a very dear friend of mine, his name is Sam Martin, and he's a Chukanadian. He wrote me a letter because I kept saying that I'm not as smart as you guys, that's why I didn't graduate from high school. And I kept saying that all the time. And he finally wrote me a letter and said, don't say that you're, you're, you're not as smart as we are. Actually, you're almost smarter than all of us. You learn two languages. You can speak two languages, 
and you know how to take care of the native food. You know what to do, how to preserve it. And that, you know, the, that kind of lightened up my life. Mm -hmm. That's why when, <laughs> please forgive me for saying this, and I know I was being broadcast, but I used to want, I'm going to go out to Salmon Creek and look for a good place on the kelp, on a cliff, H K B Senior. <laughs> 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to do what the young people do when they yeah. they use spray paint to write your name. Senior, 2015, <laughs> Herman K. Davis. I am. I'm going to yeah. do it. <laughs> but uh, that's about all I can remember how I used to do things. You're listening to Hashid Ohas Ha'it Aushutu'at, our grandparents' teachings, with Mr. Herman Davis Sr., uh, one of our most highly respected elders here in our community. And he is sharing with us a uh, subsistence point of view of how he was raised here in this community uh, with his family. And thank you for listening today. I know that uh, uh, we were talking about fish, but... Uh... What's, what's the matter with seaweed and sea ribbon and sea urchins that we used to eat? We used to get it from that high water island. There's a little pond there. Oh, yeah. You used to anchor the okay and go ashore and get some, they called it meat. Mm -hmm. And just split them open and suck up the eggs. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. And then the clams, too, used to eat it raw. And uh, fishing, it was halibut. You know, I know that everybody, people are still doing it now, but so are the white people. They picked it up from the native people, and sliced and put it out in the sun. Mm -hmm. Boy, when the sun is shining real bright, makes, makes strips. Oh, mm -hmm. boy. Mm -hmm. My grandfather had a knuckle, halibut knuckle. That's the first time I ever seen one work. Uh-huh. He, he, he put he put the herring on the on the nail. He used a nail. Mm -hmm. he, while he was doing that, he was talking to it. I couldn't understand what he was saying. Then he tied it up real good then he threw it over. Letting the knock down. And then we had a head, you know what we had for a buoy? A dried seal stomach. Yeah. You used that for a buoy. Yeah. Put a big rock on it, and after the, at the bottom, he threw the seal, seal skin buoy over. He talked to that eagle, 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 and we went ashore, made a little fire, had a cup of coffee. I was drinking coffee without a little kid. <laughs> and uh, peanut butter and crackers. And uh, saw a little bit of seaweed. <laughs> while, we were, while we were drinking the coffee, 
took only about uh, 45 minutes. My grandfather went, ho, 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 ho. So I, that seal skin buoy started moving. <laughs> Got a 70 pounder off of it. Wow. So you can build, you can make a locker any size hell of it you want to catch. Mm -hmm. But I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Make it wider or what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we, my, my, our, our elders back in the 20s, while people were going hungry down south during the, uh, what did they call it? The depression. Depression, yeah. We, we were eating real good up here because we were living off the land. Sometimes, well, we had to go to the store to get the sugar and salt, coffee and tea, and can of fruit once in a while. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, they were living off the air meat. My, my, my dad and uh, brothers went out on the November, come back with a deer, and they used to hang it in the wood, woodshed behind our house. And every once in a while, they'd go out there and cut off a piece of meat and take it in and fry it. Mm. <laughs> nice. Boy, it was cold back in those days, too. I bet. Because... Uh, my grandfather and I, when they were trapping, one time we had to chop our way out. Wow. <laughs> That's how much ice was in the, was in the uh, channel. Mm. Well, I think I said it just about as well as much as mm. I can mm -hmm. say, but maybe if you have any questions. When you went out to harvest salmon, who all helped out? The whole family? Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Your sisters, your brothers. I know my mom was a part of that. Yeah. And my auntie. Yeah, all of us. All of us took took part in it. James Howard, our family, Charlie Dick, and uh, my grandfather and grandmother George Davis. Mm -hmm. Boy, he used to have a double-ended skip. You filled up that little skip for you. Only about that much of free water. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Paddling your shores. Paddling to the other side real careful and slow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, we used to watch them uh, when they when they butchered the fish, you know. Mm -hmm. See how they cut it. There is a certain way you can cut the salmon so it doesn't slide off the off the uh, rack, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Because if you cut it the wrong way, it's going to slide right off the rack. Mm. Uh, I think I think what they do is, uh, you know that fin on the top? Mm -hmm. They cut that out. Mm. And I think the tail, you know, when, it's, when, it's, when the fish is laying at the head, they cut it this way. And then cut the tail that way. And then this one would fall that way. And then that way. So... The tail is on this side. Mm -hmm. So it stay balanced on because the stick. Because there's, there's more meat on this side mm. and not much on this side and the tail is on this side. Oh, to balance it out. Yeah, it mm. wants to balance it off, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I know your aunt, your, your grandmother, <laughs> she was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Holy. <laughs>
So what is your favorite type of smoked fish? What's your favorite? How do you like yours prepared? The uh, ayuwakishi, that's what they call those chips. Ayuwakishi. Yeah. The ayuwakishi. That was my favorite part. Well, when you put it in the oven to roast it, mm -hmm. then the dad would pour all the seal oil on top of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm -hmm. That would be our supper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. We, we, we live pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes when uh, when we had candy, you know, uh, he'd put a, call it cheek, put it over the fire. Coho, stick this way, stick, then it's stick. So open roasting on the fire. Mm -hmm. He used to do uh, deer ribs the same way. Mm. One time he did, uh, oh, I remember one time he did that. There was me, Cassie, Joe Howard, Josie. I think that was all. Oh, Anne and Marie, the auntie. Mm -hmm. Sneak a little bit off it. <laughs> By the time it was ready for supper, there'd be hardly any meat left on it. <laughs> That's good. Mm. Used to can all our deer, too. Mm. Deer meat, canned our deer meat. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's good when it's in the winter. Mm -hmm. Get it out of can. Then put a little bit of flour and salt and water and make gravy and rice. Mm. Good. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's good. Mm. We never jarred it, we canned them. Mm. He, used to buy, he used to take uh, get cans from the uh, cannery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, were, we were pretty well off. And then when, uh, when our meat and stuff ran out, they always know when the halibut are going to be in, even in the cold weather. You go out and catch a halibut or a king salmon. Mm -hmm. And that's how we lived. That's how we lived on our fish, cockles, and uh, clam, and and then the spring gumboots and meat. I've never tasted cucumber, <laughs> but they do cook them mm -hmm. and eat them. Matter of fact, there's a season for them, is there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cockles, clams, meats. Oh, yeah, and in, in the springtime, abalone. Mm. And I don't know what, the, I can't remember what they call them, do you? Guncha. Huh? Guncha. Guncha. Uh, yeah, I used to have that. And then, boy, I tried one of those big. Uh, the chicken uh, meats they call them, but they had a different name for them. Those big uh, spiny things. Quash. Yeah, they all cross. And pretty strong. I mean, it, um, the long spiny ones, the sea urchins. Yeah, sea urchins. Yeah. Quash. Yeah. Yeah, it's down there too. I thought. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another one now, uh, Seagull Lakes. We used to live off Seagull Lakes. So. Mm -hmm. See, this is what I was talking about. Remember in high school? Mm -hmm. When I were talking about Seagull Lakes and we got too much, all of us were coming down with big, big stomachs and somewhere in, uh, in buckets. Mm -hmm. 
So it preserved it in the fuel oil, and it held. It kept good. Mm. I was eating a feeding seagull eggs in Todd in, in August. <laughs> so after you would boil them, you would take the shells off and put them in the seal oil yeah. to preserve it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those little, uh, what do they call them? See? Uh, the duck thing tons. Those little eggs. Oh, kitty wakes. Boy, they're pretty heavy. I mean, uh, I don't know how to describe it. You can only eat one. Very rich. Yeah, it's really, yeah, rich, rich. You can only eat one, mm -hmm. especially the yolk. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. you can only eat one. Mm. Well, I want to I thank you for your time, Uncle Herman, and uh, hopefully our listeners will love what you have to share with all of us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah. Thank you for sharing with us today. Okay, thank you for coming over. The next song you're going to hear also comes from our archive collection. This was a recording done in the early 1940s. The composer's name was Ketuk, and he belonged to the Kagwantan clan, the wolf tribe, and this song belongs to them. The words that he uses in the song translated are, that is how the raven is, children of the wolf clan, children of the Kagwantan. Her image always appears before her wolf. The second verse, he says, just like the spirit, you are gone forever, children of the brown bear tribe, children of the Chukunedi. Just let me dream of you.
This next story is a Tluknakadi Raven Coho clan uh, story. It's the history of how my family, the Coho clan, became Coho. The story begins with our ancestor of long ago. Um, don't know how many years ago it was, but it had to have been hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, when our family lived amongst the Dry Bay and Latuya Bay areas, Tua and Al-Seikh, respectively. Our great ancestor was named Coxatin, and she was a young lady that lived in the, the Dry Bay area. She was harvesting for the silver salmon, the Tluk, Coho clan, the Coho fish. And as she was harvesting it on the banks of the river, they had what they called, a, in, I don't know what it is in the Tlingit language, but it's a flat woven basket on her back. After she would get the salmon, she would fillet them out and put the fillets in the back, in her backpack. And then after she was done doing that, uh, she would put the heads and string them on this young alder branch that she would make into a rope around her neck, and she would string all those coho heads around her neck like a necklace. And from what our ancestors had told me, and what my elders have told me, that when she got up to stand, she could see her reflection in the river. It must have been a pretty clear day in the fall time during that time to see her reflection. And she saw when she stood up, the swaying of the heads swayed in front of her. And the heads, she thought, looked funny to her. Our Tlingit people say that that's a taboo. We don't do that. We do not make fun of our food in any way, shape, form, or another. And she thought that looked funny to her. So she kept swaying with those heads, looking at the reflection of those heads in the water. When she was getting ready to go home to her her village, she had across the river. When she started making her way across the river, she was taken away by the Coho people, and she became one of them. And that's an old Tlingit uh, taboo, that if you make fun of your food, the animal people will take you away, and she became one of them. The only reason why our family knows that she had been taken away, uh, because she never came back in human form, is our Icht, our shaman. These are very powerful people. They were able to see into the future. They were able to heal people. They were also able to converse with the spirit realm. They had spirit helpers when they would go into a trance-like state. And one of our Icht had gone into a trance-like state, and his spirit helpers were communicating with the spirit realm. And while he was in a trance, her image appeared to him a young woman, and he knew who she was, and she told him exactly what had happened to her, how she had insulted and ridiculed uh, the salmon people, the coho people, and she became one of them, how she migrated with them, went out to the open ocean, the whole salmon cycle, and because of her being taken away, there's a legend we have uh, on one of our pieces of regalia, our atu. It has many different salmon on there, silver salmon, going in a direction towards a circle. This clan image is referred to as C8. It has uh, inside the circle, all the salmon have to go through this in order to get back to the river. It's one of the things they have to do. But my aunt, Lily White, of the late Lily White of Huna, told me this history. 
She said inside that circle there are many different uh, like scissors or razors that come down very quickly as the salmon go through there. And they have to go through very fast in order to make it. Otherwise they would die. And sometimes you'll see salmon when you harvest them towards the end of their tail. You'll see a little gash in there right towards the back. That is them trying to get through that circle in order for them to get to the to the river. And so we use this image in our regalia today. And because of Coxetine and what had happened to her, uh, we have songs that come from that story. We have the atuwu, the regalia, the images, and our clan objects uh, such as our koho hat, tluksah, which, uh, and tluku, which is a koho hat and koho robe that my great uncle Herman Davis, who is the designated leader amongst our people, our clan, he is the one that uses this atu or high caste nobility regalia, uh, and that demonstrates uh, the history of this um, of of our ancestor Coxatin when she was taken away by the Koho people, and that is why our people, the Koho clan, uses that image uh, today, and that's how a lot of the clans among Southeast Alaska end up with clan images. Uh, it's not because they're like. Oh, look at that killer whale. Oh, it's very beautiful. I'm just going to put that on a piece of regalia and wear it. No, it's because something very, very significant happened to those human people and the animal people to use these emblems. And I hope you enjoyed that story. Yeah, yeah. Next, we have a beautiful poem that will be done by Pauline Duncan, who was a school district teacher in the Sika School District for many years. It's uh, Salmonberry Children is the title of our poem that she had done. And it kind of goes hand in hand with our salmon theme for the month because not only are a lot of people harvesting salmon, but they're also harvesting salmon berries. I hope that you enjoy. Salmonberry Children a teacher. Colors. May the bright colors remind you of children who come to school and look to you as the one who will help to make their day shine with color and brightness. Individual. A salmonberry comes in different shapes, colors, and flavors. Children are individuals and come to you in different shapes, colors, and flavors. Patience. When picking the salmonberry, one must be very patient. Each berry has to be carefully picked. When working with children, one must be very patient. Each child has to be carefully worked with. Savor. Salmon berries grow and mature quickly. Here today, gone tomorrow. Savor the presence of children. Devote quality time and care. Here today, gone tomorrow. Compassion. A salmon berry is very fragile. If abused, it can be damaged. A child, too, is very fragile. Always treat children with care and compassion. Grooming. Mother Nature grooms the salmonberry bushes so they can reach their greatest potential. We, like Mother Nature, must groom our children to reach their greatest potential. Connection. The simple salmonberry is the result of the many connections of its surroundings. As a teacher, always remember the role you will play in connecting and working with your students and their family. Survival. 
In order for the salmon berry to survive, it depends on many others. It depends on water, the sun, the rain, the wind, and the soil. A child, in order to survive and continue growing, depends on individuals they are in contact with to make a positive impact on their lives forever. I'd like to uh, also share that the importance of this show, our grandparents' teachings, is very important uh, to me in terms of uh, learning more about the Tlingit way of life. Obviously, I'm still learning. Even our grandfather, Charlie Joseph Sr., who was our main mentor here in our community, he would say, I'm 93 years old and I'm still learning. So uh, that's the whole passion behind this show is to educate not only our, you know, our Slingit people here and our younger generation, but they educate everybody in our community. So learning of the songs, learning of the stories, learning of the history, place names, protocols, songs and dance, all of these things are very important, just like the elders who met with Charlie Joseph Sr. Uh, in the early 1970s to, with Isabella Brady, the late Isabella Brady, to help create the Sick and Native Education Program. And they saw a problem with our younger people uh, not being proud of who they were and they weren't learning our ways of life. And that concerned them to the point where they put that program together so that our younger people, our younger generations would hold their head up high that they would be proud of who they were and that our culture wouldn't die. And so that is the motivation behind this program. Our grandparents' teachings. Thank you for listening today. Thanks for joining us to learn from our grandparents' teachings. Stay tuned next month as we share more stories, songs, and traditional ways of living. If you have a story you'd like to share, please reach out at storytelling at kcaw.org. We'd love to hear from you. Technical support for this program was made possible in part with funding by the Rasmussen Foundation, administered by the Alaska State Council of the Arts and Art Change, Inc.